Welcome to the Oda Magazine podcast. We at Oda desire to give a deeper insight into the people we spend time with through a podcast featuring creatives and entrepreneurs across art, fashion, films, and other creative disciplines. Each episode highlights the work of individuals actively participating in culture and the conversations they inspire. Our guests discuss how they see the future dealing with themes such as diversity, equality, understanding, and of course, passion. Odda is a platform where self-expression, imagination, and dreams are brought to the next level and shared with those looking to be inspired. So, hello everyone. Thank you so much for um, spending the time to watch this conversation. And... Oh, it's working, so that's good. So, uh, so what we were saying before, I don't remember that. Uh, probably I'm. So yeah, I'm in Italy, and yeah, I was asking, where are you instead right now? And and what? Uh, where are you right now? Oh, I am in Asheville, North Carolina, where I live. Oh, okay, great. <clears throat> so I actually already knew that because. I stalked you a bit before, before you know, asking you questions. You probably yeah. already, um, you already, I don't know if you already know the, the questions I, I am I'm gonna ask you because I sent them in advance, but if, if you don't, it's good anyway. It's okay, I didn't get them, so this will be actually a surprise. Oh, that's perfect. So it's gonna be more natural. Um, so just uh, so let's start with the first one, actually, which is the real, the first official question, which is, uh, so um, um, you have actually you have been singing and um, you know you have acquainted yourself with, with music since you were a child um, but you haven't you know started really singing in public until you were 20 years old if I'm not wrong and so what was stopping you before before that before you you were 20 and before you you, you grew up well, I was a very shy child. I was a really shy middle child. Um, and so I think uh, I wasn't really going to get out there and be a performative person, kid or teenager, without being pushed. And my parents were kind of like the opposite of the parents that would like push their kids to perform. They very much did not want me to perform because they were immigrants in America. And so they wanted me to have a more practical job, you know, a doctor, lawyer, those kinds of things. But that's pretty much the reason I always knew I wanted to, to be a, a, a artist and a musician, but I didn't really have the support. So, and you didn't have support, but and also, you know, at the same time, um, when, you know, do I like this kind of two forces in our lives, the one that is more, in a way, bourgeois or, you know, middle class. So you have to, you know, find the perfect job, which is a lawyer or a doctor. And the other one, which is more, I want to do something more creative. But at the same time, you're not, you're never sure if you're actually going to make it because, I mean, it's, I mean, it's a tough world and, you, you know, it's, there's not place for everyone. So how did you find the, you know, the courage to actually do it, even if you didn't have a support system as well? Great question. I just knew. I think that for me, I always had a very strong intuition and I always knew what I was supposed to be doing in life. And I had a really strong feeling that if I tried, I would make it. Not even that if I tried, that I had to try, that it was my calling. And so I actually never really questioned whether or not I should I should be doing it. It was just a matter of when. So it wasn't even a choice. It was like you know, some, something you had to do. It didn't feel like a choice. It felt like a calling. Mm -hmm, yeah. And so before, um, I mean, actually, when you were a child as well, you, you, you stayed for some time and for a few years in Ghana. And I mean, what do you remember about your time there? How was your life? And I mean, I think it was very different from how it, how it was in US before that. Yeah, I mean, I remember it really well because I was 10 years old when we moved. So I lived there from 10 to 16. And um, 
yeah, it was tricky because I was a very Americanized child by then. So I just remember it being really hot and everyone seeming very foreign. I had an idea of what like African people were like because my parents are African and we kind of would hang out with Africans sometimes, but just culturally it just was so different. You know, the television was different. The accents were different. Schools were different. And um, I found it quite challenging to acclimate or reacclimate myself to, um, to it, to it culturally. Okay. Yeah. And, and this is like a topic we are also starting to kind of face here in, in Italy, but I mean, not as much because there are like people, I mean, first generations immigrants who have had children and they are also more in the middle, you know, they don't have, they don't feel really like from the original, you know, country they were from, they, their parents are from at the same time. Mm, you know, like society, I, I'm, I'm speaking about Italy and I mean, I didn't experience this on my own skin because I, I, I mean, I, I'm, my, my parents are Italian, but um, the thing is, um, sometimes they say uh, that, um, you don't know if you're one thing or the other because I mean I have this experience because I, I'm my parents are Jew I mean I'm, I'm Jewish but I'm not really Jewish but at the same time if I go with Jewish people they don't think I am and if I go with people who are not Jewish they don't think um, I am they think I am Jewish in a way I mean it maybe this makes sense mm -hmm. and mm -hmm. so how how do you how do you feel I mean in relation to that, do you do you what how what does which role does this play in, in your identity in a way? I can certainly relate to that. I feel like people of hybridized identity, and by that I mean people who are not just one thing or another thing, but a mixture of many things and many cultures and backgrounds or nationalities or races. Um, typically struggle to find a place because for me as someone who's both Ghanaian and American there is no literal place for me there's one or the other you know but there isn't there isn't some third country that's like a mixture of both places and so I find that I'm never as much as I've I have fluency in both cultures I don't fit into either mm -hmm. and so um, is that something you still remember i mean you still bring with yourself or your your gaming time or your gaming culture even like right now in, in india sorry what was the question is that something that what something from ghana that you still bring with yourself i mean i know some part of the culture or i don't know something that you also use in your art? I mean, I love the food. My favorite food is probably Ghanaian food. And so whenever I go around the world, I'm always trying to chase like what the closest thing is. If I can find plantain anywhere, I get very excited when there's Caribbean food has plantain or Mexican food. Um, that's a big part of it. I speak the language and I try to practice it. I speak it in my head sometimes. Um, and then in my house, I have furnishings. Mm -hmm. Okay. I have furnishings from Ghana. So when I go, I go to Ghana every year. I always make sure I go and get like some wood or some leather or just like some artisanal things that were made, handcrafted in Ghana. And I have a lot of that stuff in my house, like this piece right here. You know, uh -huh. my room is very dirty. Beautiful. My room is messy, <laughs> but you know, ignore no. that. <laughs> Okay, that's cool. Um, so, and talking about your music, um, so what were you, what were your main music influences when when you started at the beginning? Well, at the very beginning, I was I was inspired a lot by pop music and R and B music. Um, I listened to a lot of Usher, a lot of Destiny's Child, a lot of Brandy. India, Ari. And then as I got older, I started to infuse um, older music. Stevie Wonder became a very huge influence. So did Joni Mitchell, Nina Simone, Ella Fitzgerald, 
Um, and some of the rock music I, I heard in my teens on the radio when I moved back to America became really influential. Um, Incubus was one that I really loved. Uh, and, so, and, yeah. do you, and do you draw inspiration from, you know, other artists like, you know, influences or do you also have some other way of finding inspiration? I mean, what inspires me the most is experimenting, like sound experiments. I find I'm always trying to figure out how I can make music that does not sound like anything else or doesn't feel referential. And so, you know, beyond whatever's already in me, I think the music I listened to growing up is inside of me. And so I don't always have to like actively reference it or try to be inspired by it. But I'm, I'm more inspired by like, okay, what happens when we combine these sounds? What happens when we like take away the drums? What happens when I scream into a pedal and, and we twist the knobs in an interesting way? That's the, what really inspires me is trying to do something that hasn't been done. Yeah, and just like playing a bit more, more fun probably. Um, so is that, I mean, since it's like, you have so many kind of different, I mean, I, I know this is an English word, but um, polyadric kind of music, you know, it's very diverse. Uh, do you think there is a genre that describes your, your music or I don't know, do you, what do you think? Wait, sorry, what was the question? Is, is there um, like a music genre that I don't know describes your, your music? Oh, <laughs> no. <laughs> <laughs> I think that my music is you know, post genre. I don't like genre. Mm -hmm. I think that it would be fair to say the music is a combination of a few genres, you know, soul and rock and experimental Indian folk and jazz, but there's definitely not one. But if I had to pick a, an umbrella, like if someone held a gun to my head, um, well, one, I'd probably say, please kill me. But apart from that, I'd probably say soul music mm -hmm. is, is what I would call it because soul is a feeling not necessarily yeah. a genre and so it's been actually i think this year it's been 10 years since you started your career so um how has your i mean maybe you already answered but i'm gonna ask you anyway and then you tell me uh so uh how has your artistic path evolved from from the beginning in the past few years yeah since I mean, yeah, since 2012, probably. Um, I think I'm more confident. The music I was making early on was more timid and soft, which I actually love. Um, but it wasn't entirely because that was what I wanted aesthetically. A lot of it was because I didn't know how to take up space and I wanted to be really quiet. And I think as the years have gone by, I've been bolder about singing more, making louder sounds, making harsher sounds, um, and just being more bold. Uh, and then I've also just stretched beyond music in ways that felt very necessary. You know, now I'm incorporating filmmaking and photography and more and more fashion. And, and so it definitely feels more multidimensional than it was in the beginning. So this was also one of my questions, which, which is like, since you are really aesthetic in a way and very, I mean, your visual expression is very strong. So what's the relationship with fashion and how did you, how, how did you start getting to know fashion and what, I mean, and these are loads of questions, but what's your interpretation of fashion? It's just, you know, runways, things that, you know, high fashion designers kind of say, oh, this is good, this is not. And um, I mean, what, what's your idea about that? Um, I started getting into fashion. Well, I actually was never really in that into fashion, to be honest with you. I was always into aesthetics and the way that things look. And I've always been into style. And I come from a family that was very stylish, but knew very little about fashion. Mm -hmm. 
And so I think I learned a lot by watching my parents and, and maybe just watching like Ghanaian people, Ghanaian or West African people in general, and the ways in which they're very into looking good. Like everyone just loves to have a look. And I, at some point, oh, so I always had a point of view. I have always had a stylistic point of view. What I didn't have was a knowledge of fashion. And so as I've gone further along into the music industry, or really just the entertainment industry, I've become more curious about fashion. And I started going to fashion shows probably in 2018, maybe. I, I, I performed, my first experience with fashion show was performing for Eckhouse Lada in New York. And then, and then the next year things shifted because I went to Paris. And I went to Paris Fashion Week and that was my first time actually really paying attention to the details of fashion. You know, the first show that I sat at was front row for Virgil's first show for Louis Vuitton, um, Rest His Soul. And that was such a cool entry to fashion because I feel like I started getting into it at a time when more people who looked like me weren't just being models, but were creating ideas around what it can mean to wear clothes and tell stories through clothes. So I think my fashion sense has been growing um, since then. And I just love the ability to make a statement. I think men's fashion is particularly boring and stale generally speaking, and I appreciate any opportunity I can have to disrupt that, but also add to the story, add another plane or dimension to the story of what, how men can look and how men can express their innermost selves through clothes. Okay, well, I love this answer. <laughs> um, so um, when you first started, I mean, and broke into the music scene, it was with Mid City Island. And I mean, after that, you, I mean, this is what I read, so you can tell me if I'm wrong, but um, so you refused some offers from some record labels, like, because you didn't want to, you know, be constricted in commercially, commercial choices. So does it, does it mean that your music is necessarily niche or, I mean, has, has something changed since then? Um, well, not a lot has changed. What has changed is my sound, I think, has grown and evolved and become more dimensional. But what I maintain is a spirit of independence and autonomy. You know, I was like hotly pursued by record labels in the early days. I said no to many of them for years. And then I finally signed with one and I put two albums out with them and then I left. And now I'm back to releasing my own music you know i started my own label last year called tune tune and i put out a live album a few months ago a couple months ago that's the first release on my label and i i think what has remained important to me is the ability to do whatever i want you know to do whatever i want but also to continue to experiment aesthetic aesthetically and put myself in a position where nobody can tell me not to make something and nobody can control the means of production except for me okay um so mm, so going back to you know fashion and aesthetics um um so i was thinking that something that is apart from fashion i mean fashion exists because we have bodies and also from your music videos um it looks like the body is really important for you and you know to you know, express something and to kind of convey something you also say through music um so why is the body apart from fashion so important um the body is really a canvas and the body is a symbol Right. I am interested in my art and playing with or challenging gender 
challenging appearances. And I think the most visceral way in which I can do that is to present my body as a canvas to project onto, for me to project onto, for the general public to project onto, because realistically, we don't have a choice, right? Like whether or not we choose to be consumed or whether or not we choose to make a meal of our bodies, people are constantly consuming them. It's how they come to understand us. It's how they come to make projections and assumptions about who and what we are. And so I think simply for the fact that I cannot escape that, I don't have an option to be invisible. I then want to dissect what it means to have a body, what it means to have a body like mine, what it means to manipulate my body and make it look um, like a piece of meat <laughs> or, or, or not. And I think that, that I, it had to become part of my practice because it wasn't the first few years and I was wrong in thinking that it wasn't already part of my practice. People were already coming to my music because of my body or making assumptions about me because of my body. And I only chose to hold the reins. So, and when people do assumptions because of your body, is it, do you think is your body or, you know, the image you're giving, leading them to make the right assumptions about you or are they misleading? I mean, do you like to mislead people through your appearance or through your music? I don't know. <laughs> That's a great question. There are no right assumptions. I think that once you assume anything about anybody, you're automatically wrong. Mm -hmm. The only right thing to do is to ask questions and listen to the answers. So I would argue that any assumption anyone makes about me is wrong. <laughs> oh, so I'm doing it. I'm doing good then since I'm asking you questions. <laughs> <laughs> you are asking questions, yeah. So, and um, also something um, else that, I mean, um, about your music is, and also not about your music, is your first album was called, I mean, it's called uh, Aromanticism, and I mean, it came out in 2017. And I mean, something that is, Aromanticism is something that is not really that talked about, actually, even though we're now starting to talk about these kind of different labels that, I mean, sometimes they're a good thing, sometimes not so much, depending on the situation. But I mean, we are starting to know more about, you know, sexuality and different kind of, you know, attractions in a way. So um, since most people probably don't know about it, what is Aromanticism? And why did you decide actually to, de to dedicate your first album to aromanticism? Mm -hmm. Aromanticism technically is the um, inability to be able to feel romantic love or it's the disinterest, the emotional disinterest in romantic attraction. And that can occur on a scale for people that can be on varying levels of like not really feeling romantically attracted. Obviously the most common parallel is like asexuality, right? Which, which is the mm. sexual version of that, but it's different from the romantic version. And I wanted to talk about it um, on my first album without claiming it, without saying, hi, I'm like, hello, I'm Mr. A romantic, hello, you know. <laughs> I wanted to like talk about it because I was like, why is nobody talking about this? There are a lot of people who don't feel a romantic attraction or only feel it a little bit. And I think that there are a lot of people who like never partner. There are a lot of people who never get married. There are a lot of people who spend their whole lives chasing romantic love, even though they don't feel like it fits them. And I was feeling various levels of like just romance dysmorphia essentially and I couldn't find anyone talking about it so I wanted to not only talk about it but also to name it that so that people could have something to call that feeling and 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 people could attach themselves to something I mean it's actually I'm I'm so glad actually to that 
you talked about this because I had no, I mean, I, yeah, I actually didn't know. I mean, I just knew about asexuality and so. Most people don't. Yeah, exactly. So um, I'm really happy because maybe, I mean, I, don't, <laughs> I mean, this is, I mean, it's not interesting, but maybe I think some things kind of, you know, come to their place in, in a way I, about myself anyway. Um, <laughs> mm-hmm. But, but, and also, uh, but romanticism, which is the opposite in a way, is most of the time actually not for a romantic people a delusion, because it's a construction, it's a fantasy that was instilled probably in nineteenth century, and afterwards just you know make make you hope in something. I mean, that was better than you know everyday routine and boring life. So, but. You know, wait, does a romanticism make you less, I mean, does, does that mean how you say less deluded? And so, doesn't it, do you, don't you risk to be more lonely in a way sometimes? Hmm. Yes, for sure. I, yeah. Yes. <laughs> <laughs> I think that, um, I think happiness, well, let me not say happy. I was gonna say happiness is a delusion. That's not true, but it definitely helps. I think the deluded have a better opportunity at being happy. The more you know, the more you realize how kind of fucked the world is. Mm. But I think it's important for me to make the distinction that, you know, I fill levels of aromanticism and it changes and i would never define or categorize myself as a romantic and one of the things that changed for me between my first album and my second album was realizing that i didn't want to be labeled as anything and the first album i was kind of careful not to say i am a romantic but it didn't matter because i called my album a romanticism so it's like what are you trying to say but with the second album i didn't kind of just realize that um it was that that was too simple for me that i, I didn't want to be um, an aromantic or an R&B singer or a Black American that I wanted to just be Moses and being Moses meant that I could change mm-hmm. that I could be anything or I might feel um, a certain brand of loneliness that was attached to an absence of romance that could change in five years, in 10 years, in 15 years. And I think was important to say, because I think it created a lot of confusion amongst people who came to my music that um, I don't really want to be known for somebody who can be categorized. Yeah, I mean, I can understand. and. I mean, the thing is, you can be, in a way, I think you can be a romantic in some period of your life and then not be a romantic anymore. I mean, everybody changes through time and also depending on the place you are, you know, because you get to know yourself every day more, both with time and with, you know, discovering new things. But yeah. Uh, sorry to cut you off oh, and no. some, some people might feel aromantic their entire lives you know mm-hmm. yeah it depends you know if there was not that trigger that you know made you change or maybe because you are like that yeah there are so many i mean everybody's so different so it's, you know it's impossible mm-hmm. just to say like that but mm, and also you know if most of people hope you know for a happy ending which is romanticism and you know something oh you finally love your life and you know rom-coms and stuff like that so what's your idea of a happy ending or maybe you know your your greatest aspiration for yourself i don't know um yeah that's my idea of a happy ending (laughs) my idea of a happy ending is not trying to decide now what the future is going to be is being is trying to find joy in my everyday life and joy 
in existing on this earth right now yeah that the, the number one thing i could do to guarantee unhappiness would be to try to decide or define what happiness would mean for me at the end of my life mm -hmm. yeah, right. um, i mean you know like that it's so easy to actually forget about that because we are constantly you know pressured to you know to achieve something at some point and you have to do that and, and stuff like that so yeah i mean it's difficult but it's true we have to really think about what we're doing in the moment and also another another song of yours that i was really interested in is your aisle um, um because i was wondering what does very uh, I, I can't talk anymore but yeah what does re virility mean to you and how do you express or translate virility or i don't know if i'm pronouncing it right but yeah into music i mean is there a way and what actually what's the meaning of it to begin with um yeah well virility is kind of like the ability of a man to be you know, strong or potent. Um, and it's often attached to like a man's sexual capability. But I think virility is essentially the, uh, maybe I would say hyper, is a hyper definition of, of masculinity. And um, I was really fascinated with it as it pertains to like, Greco-Roman society and the ways in which um, I think past civilizations like worshiped masculinity, but also had room for femininity in it. And for me, I wanted to, um, I don't know, like virili like what is it? Like exactly, what is it? <laughs> I don't know what it means to me. It doesn't really mean anything to me anymore. But when I was making my album, I was like, whoa, this is so interesting. Like, mm -hmm. I don't want to, you know, I, I think I wanted to capture the dichotomy or what's the word, the contradiction of mm -hmm. I'm not a man, but like, look at my body, like this is the man body, but also not really, like, what is this? I don't know. The, my feelings about it now are just so like, I don't really care. <laughs> so it's harder to talk about it now than if you had asked me two years ago. Yeah. I had a lot of really interesting thoughts about virility and now I'm just like, I went there, I explored it. And you changed. Um, <laughs> exactly, exactly. It kind of changed. Like I, I, but I also thought like maybe part of what was interesting about it was I wanted to explore the idea that masculinity wasn't all bad because we're getting to a place in our cultural discourse about gender and gender roles where it was just like the kind of villainization of masculinity. Mm -hmm. um, and I, think that that was I thought that was wrong that to push anything on the extreme end of a deck of a dichotomy is to erase no room for beauty and I think that there's a lot of room for beauty and masculinity too and so maybe I wanted to explore that underneath the kind of oppressive umbrella of virility find where the beauty was yeah I think you know masculinity becomes negative or it becomes toxic when you attribute some qualities to masculinity which i mean put pressure on people who are male or who kind of identify themselves as male and then you know kind of respect or you know don't mirror those categories in a way of those qualities and i mean this is also why, I mean, the next question is also about qualities and gender. You know, some qualities have, I mean, and also in music, for example, that if you think about mm, bass or, you know, drums, they are usually thought as, you know, more masculine sounds or masculine. And then if you think about something like harps or a violin, maybe it's more feminine. So how do you, how did we come to, you know, aesthetics, different, you know, sounds and everything that surrounds us in music, but also really everything, even, I don't know, a fruit, 
is either masculine or feminine and in Italian it's actually every day is like that because we have genders for names but um, I mean is it right and in a way how do we how can music help to overcome this because I mean we tend to make the world the world flatter in a way sometimes if you just think oh yeah this is really a base it's really masculine but maybe a woman who feels herself as feminine can actually identify herself as with a bass compared to, I don't know, some other instruments in a way. Mm. <laughs> That's a really deep question. <laughs> yeah, sorry, it was, it was a bit long. <laughs> I think that um, music is a reflection of our humanity, but it's also a product of our culture. All art is a product of culture. And so I would say that to change the idea that certain aspects of music are more masculine or feminine, we'd actually would need to change the cultural idea that certain modes of expression are masculine and certain other modes of expression are feminine. I think maybe we need a few more men to do the stuff that is not classified as masculine and we need a few more women to, to occupy space and feel emboldened or be emboldened to occupy space on instruments that would be considered for men. But I think the whole thing is kind of stupid, right? Like mm -hmm. a sound is a sound. And maybe you could say that something has more male energy or female energy, I don't know, but but um, yeah, it's kind of like whatever. <laughs> yeah. Right, I don't know, is that a good answer? No, it's good. It's um, it's just yeah. It's I'm I'm really fascinated with these things because we always we live in a world that kind of works using this logic, and as much as it's good to say, I I, I actually don't care because I am the first person who ideally wouldn't care. You have to relate with people who actually follow that system, so in a way to change that and to make it better, maybe you have to kind of go towards them in a way and kind of explain things, I don't know, you know, make it easier for them to understand which is, that's not actually how it is, or it's not the, I don't know, the norm in a way, it doesn't, the norm doesn't exist in a way. So, but yeah. yeah. <laughs> it requires, it requires work, unfortunately. Yeah. And so you also have traveled a lot and you experienced loads of places. So um, what's the place you actually and you eventually would call home? Is it something, does it, does it have to do with the people or does it have to do with something special you find in a place and what way is it that you find yourself at home right now? Definitely I feel most at home in Asheville, North Carolina. Mm -hmm. You're asking me this while I'm in my house and yeah. I have been, tra I travel, yeah, you said I travel a lot. So I, I'm always like, <laughs> I think I have three homes. I think home is based on familiarity uh, with the place, um, familiarity with the culture and fluid fluidity with the culture. Or no, no, not fluidity, sorry. Fluency in the culture and, um, where there's a sense of comfort. Those, that's what home is based on for me. So for me, I have like several homes. I think Asheville feels like home in a lot of ways. LA feels like a home that I don't like that much. <laughs> in a lot of ways, Accra, Ghana feels like home. I was just there, I lived there for a month at the beginning of the year. Um, and London feels like a home, like a chosen home, but my main home is where I actually have my real physical brick and mortar home, which is Asheville, North Carolina. And how did you come to choose Asheville? I mean, I don't know, it, it sounds really stupid, but I mean, how, you know, it's not something, you know, I think that you would know, I mean, I mean, I wouldn't probably, I don't know, maybe someone else would, but what's, I mean, what was striking for about, about Asheville for you? Just the energy. The, the first time I came here, I just felt something in the air and I felt something spiritual call to me. Just felt like, oh, this is the place, this is the right place, the nature. Um, it's not even really the people because I don't talk to people that much, but it's the, the feeling of, of, 
of that's there's really actually a special feeling in the air mm -hmm. that it's hard to define but it's also cheaper than LA which is nice <laughs> yeah so that's always that it you have to ask <laughs> that helps um so and also when you're in LA or in big cities um like London or any other you know metropolis do you ever feel like do you ever experience FOMO I mean and does it, what does it do for you know making music does it help I mean is it bad is it what what do you I don't know oh you said do I experience FOMO <laughs> yeah exactly because I do so. <laughs> I and I'm not in those places no if you are in those places because you think oh I can do so many things so I'm going to have to do that and then that and then you have so many things going on in your head and then you feel anxious because you have so many choices so maybe in a small town yeah that's why I was asking is it also with that yeah, I have a really big problem with FOMO. It's like a mental illness, actually. And I'm trying to get out of it. <laughs> one of the reasons, one of the many reasons I moved to Asheville was because I needed to learn how to just be somewhere where I had no option to be at the party or be at the thing that was fun. You know, when you live in the big city, especially as you're coming up in your career, you have this weird promise of maybe today I'll go to the party and be discovered you know or something silly yeah. and it's like well maybe you need to be in your house discovering your art and get mm -hmm. better at your craft um so i do experience FOMO a lot and when i'm in london when i'm in la when i'm in new york i go out a lot mm -hmm. and i think i found a good balance the next step for me is to be in those places and just like okay i'm staying in tonight even though i'm here but as maybe especially because i don't live there now i'm like okay i'm here let me do this and then when I go home everything turns off and it's a nice balance for me yeah well, it's good because I mean if you're if you're there just for a few days I mean it's good exactly. you know, to make the most of it and then you can relax when you're in Nashville and um, so I mean I went I just wanted to ask you about so your, your latest album which is the one you released with your own record label so what is it what is it about I mean I don't know if the, uh, if you already released it, so if we can talk about this, I mean, um, mm. what is it about? What, what what was I mean? What's the price of um, everything, and what was that you wanted to do, to talk about to, to to tell through this new album? Yeah, I mean, you know, it's a live album, so I've always wanted to. I love live albums, and I love performing, and I think that. I and my band are very fucking good. So I wanted a record of that. I wanted to, I wanted to have a proof and something I could look back on and be like, oh yeah, we did this, we made this thing. That was the biggest thing, but you know, it was also a film component to it. And I've been interested in filmmaking more and more and interested in image making. And so I wanted to try to make the most impressive thing possible, to be honest, it was a live film of us actually performing live music and instruments, which feels rare and rarer and rarer mm -hmm. um, every year. And it was important for me to do it in the Appalachian Mountains. The film is called Black Appalachia because I live in Appalachia, mm -hmm. which is a collection of mountains that go across you know, the Southern and Eastern states. And uh, I look outside my window and I'm in Appalachia. And so it was nice to make something that felt like it was speaking to where I am now in my life. Okay. And um, you also, so since you are, you, you, if you're making, you're really, you know, starting to explore more about, you know, even image making in general. So you also describe yourself as a, I mean, and. Uh, how you say it, like a narrator and like a narrative like a storyteller storyteller in so um what we are what we are talking about usually this you know last year is like narratives i mean my narrative your narrative their narrative and which mm -hmm. is like your side of the story in a way i mean what's eventually a narrative to you what's at the end of it all in a way because sometimes we kind of forget that we use a word, but maybe we don't even know where it comes from. Hmm. Hmm. Well, 
I guess I'm just interested in telling the story of my life. It's like, I'm not so much interested in editorializing or fictionalizing what's going on. I'm, I'm really interested in a historical record right now. And so in storytelling and in music and film and photography and movement, uh, it's nice to be able to say, oh, this is my body, this is my face, this is my mind, this is my spirit, and this is what where I am right now. And this is what happened to me. It's, it's, I guess I'm thinking more, yeah, I don't know if that makes sense, but that's what the oh, narrative, yeah. the story is. It's, it's, it's autobiographical and even it's not always literal, right? Sometimes it's autobiographical through metaphor and sometimes it can be through writing a song that's like not 100% actually my story, but it is 100% from my perspective and how I feel. And so storytelling for me is, is about saying like, here I am and making an object that people can look back on and see here I was. And I think because my, my story and, and my person, my personhood is so unique that that's enough of a story to tell. Yeah, and so you're giving your lens to exactly. which other people can look. Um, so um, I also wanted to ask about yeah the other album you released, which it was before the um, the live album, which which was which is grey, and so I was I mean I was actually interested about the name because I mean it's a weird kind of spelling, so I don't know how why is it. <laughs> Yeah, well, I always wanted to call my album gray and it's such a boring word, you know, gray is such a boring color, such a boring word. So I had to mix it up somehow. Mm -hmm. But I was also interested in like the, the ash symbol, which is, you know, the A and the E when they cross over like that. Mm -hmm. And it was interesting because what I was doing is making a record about intersections, about sitting at the intersection of, of different identities. And so it made sense for the word to also feel intersectional. And yeah, that record is all about, as I was saying earlier, not fitting into one box, not fitting into black or white. It's about being in and embodying the gray. Pale grays, yeah. 50 shades. <laughs> 50,000 shades of gray. Yeah. yeah, probably even more. So, um, so the last questions are, I think like this is 10 year anniversary since Oda started. So we are actually asking, I mean, I mean, uh, you know, talking to people who have, you know, had a path in this last 10 years and maybe they have changed. And I don't know, yeah, something has happened in these 10 years for them. And so if you have to look back at yourself from 10 years ago, is it something that you, I mean, it's, it's like such a canonical question in a way, but is it something you would tell yourself or is it something, or maybe you wouldn't, I don't know, is that from what, what you would do? You would have done something differently or you would have just lived your life as you did, I don't know. Hmm. Oh, oh no, it's frozen. Oh no, is it frozen? No. Not for me, is it for you? No, I, I think it froze for a second, but okay. <laughs> I think I would tell myself from 10 years ago to be more confident. I would, I would say, hey, you're really special and not a lot of people are like you and not a lot of people can do what you do. I didn't know that. Mm -hmm. So I would say, bitch, get it together and stand up straight. <laughs> yeah. That's right. I mean, my grandma used always to say, oh, you, you, we should be born old, you know, and I, I think she would not because we had to be old and then become young, just because you know so much more when you're old than so you don't have so many problems. Yeah, I mean, but you learn, you learn those things. Yeah, you have to learn. Exactly. So, so I mean, it's impossible because you have to learn by, you know, suffering. <laughs> um, yeah, no pain, no gain. So, and yeah. um, so let's go back to the future then, and be vintage. So, you know, wait, no, but so what's something instead that you look forward to, or maybe I don't know some 
something in the future, even if you're learning on fire and that's so good, but you probably have projects even if they're not aspiration, it's something that you'd like to do. I mean, even if it's not something I think you I have wanna, to do. Yeah, I want to get more into filmmaking. I want to get more into the narrative side of filmmaking, um, telling stories without music. And I want to make my house as beautiful as possible. <laughs> hey, that's so cool, actually, to hear because nobody usually thought and tells things about, oh, I'd love to, you know, have a cool house and do it. I mean, you know, furniture does they like. It's usually everybody's talking about, yeah. you know, their career. But so it's, it's good as, yeah, you're human as well. And you want to have a nice house. Yeah, it's good. And um, yeah. Then if you're making, would you do it for fashion or I don't know, which kind of filmmaking are you interested in? Story, like stories, narrative, talk, people talking to each other, people hurting each other, people loving each other, people trying to figure out what, why the fuck do we exist, you know? Mm-hmm. Um, I think that can exist in a lot of different forms, but I don't want to say anything too limiting, you know? Mm-hmm. Yeah, you, you see when you do it and you are doing it. Yeah. Okay. So, I mean, I was really, I really, really loved talking to you. I'm so happy that, you know, we actually managed to do it even after 40 minutes. So, yeah, sorry for, the, okay. for being late. And, and also, yeah, I just want to ask you if we would, if we wanted to use this video, could we use it? I mean, probably it's going to be edited, of course, because, I mean, it's, gonna, it's quite long. But if we want to use it, I don't know, for our, social media or something do you think we can i think i would have to watch it yeah you know but i don't usually um share videos of me talking it's like kind of all right okay but but send it over you know it's also like my house so i don't usually post my house on the internet no but we can i mean i'm also just the audio i i mean because we we always ask this because um um i think for the podcast probably because we have a podcast but um i'm 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 not dealing with that part so i'm i'm not sure about anyway i'm gonna talk about it and then in case let you know i would let um nick know so yeah let yeah talk to nick or let them talk to nick about it i think i probably want to see or hear it yeah of course i mean that's i mean that um i mean I don't know how to say it, but I'm, it's 9 and 47 here, so it's the end of the day. I mean, it, it's good, of course, you have to see it before. <laughs> okay, so thank you so much again, and you see, at, at least you'll see your words printed. <laughs> yes, and I can't so, wait to see the photos. And the photos, of course. When is this issue supposed to come out? Uh, I think... Uh, um, in the end, the end of February or March, uh, probably March. Okay. Yeah, no, yeah, it's gonna. I think it's gonna be March because it usually comes out for Fashion Week in Paris. So I think, but I'm I'm not hundred percent sure. But we are really close to the, the closing. Okay. So it's gonna come out super soon. Okay. Well, thank you so much. Thanks to you, and so good luck with everything. And I hope to see a film of yours really soon <laughs> yeah i hope so too thank you so much daniela thanks to you bye bye ciao ciao